20. And the idea of the wars they were going to have in conquering Canaan. And uh, so in Deuteronomy 20, uh, we looked at the idea that the Lord would be involved, therefore they did not need to be intimidated or terrified. The Lord would be blessing them. Um, would somebody read verses 5 through 9? The officers also shall speak to the people, saying, Who is the man that has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him depart and return to his house, otherwise he might die in the battle, and another man would dedicate it. Who is the man that has planted a vineyard and has not begun to use its fruit? Let him depart and return to his house, otherwise he might die in the battle, and another man would begin to use its fruit. And who is the man that is engaged to a woman and has not married her? Let him depart and return to his house, otherwise he might die in the battle, and another man would marry her. Then the officers shall speak further to the people and say, Who is the man that is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house, so that he might not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. When the officers have finished speaking to the people, they shall appoint commanders of armies at the head of the people. So, we remember that they're going to be battling against better equipped enemies with larger armies, which makes these statements rather impressive. What is he saying that you should do with a man who's built a house and hasn't been able to dedicate it? Go back and do it. Or he's planted a vineyard but hasn't started eating the fruit. Go back and eat it. Or what about a man who's engaged to a woman that he's not married yet? Go back and marry her. Or what if he's just afraid and faint-hearted? Go back. He is giving an exemption to people who have other things going on or even just afraid. You would think that when you're badly outnumbered, that you would certainly not want to dismiss soldiers. You know, you need all the ones you can get. So you would want more and more, not less and less. You know, what, a, what an amazing thing. That he would say, just let him go back home. It's okay. No problem. How can he do that? Exactly. It doesn't matter how many soldiers they've got anyway. The Lord's with them in the battle. You remember how God told Gideon, you've got the wrong sized army. And I bet Gideon thought that too when he was outnumbered four and a half to one. But God meant, you got too many. Why did he say you had too many? Yeah, you will think it's you. So he has him send home the ones who are afraid. He made the shattering discovery that more than two-thirds of the soldiers left as soon as he left them. And he got it was outnumbered 13 and a half to one. And God says, not the right size. Too many still. And he picks the 300 wimpiest. The ones that were, weren't willing to put their ha- head down in the stream to drink, but cut their hands and just kind of lapped it up. Those 300 overmothered men were the ones he said, now, outnumbered 400 to one, now you can go. And they still credited Gideon with the victory in chapter 8 of Judges. So it doesn't matter how many there are. That's not the point. 
Sometimes you might think about it this way, a better army is more valuable than a bigger army anyway. You know, if you've got, you know, fearful soldiers, they're just going to damage the morale of the people. I don't know that it's really going to be a blessing to have them, but I think the bigger point is God is with them. Now, letting the soldiers go home because they are engaged or they planted a vineyard or built a house or whatever... Does that remind you of any parable Jesus might have taught? Yeah. And what was the what was the story there? The man preparing the wedding feast invited a lot of people. And I said, I, I married a wife, or I bought a field. They made, made excuses not to come. And how did the Lord feel about that? <laughs> yeah. So the excuses that exempted a person here from military service did not exempt him from the need to respond to the Lord's invitation. That's that's an interesting thing to me. That, you know, there's exemptions given for, for serving in the Israelite army that would not be given for serving the Lord. You know, the Lord's call is a greater one. Than, than serving in the army, and and no one's exempted on any principle from that. Yes, they're also fighting a battle, whereas the Lord said they're coming to a feast. Yes, which is a big, the battle's been won, and since they're coming to the feast. Good point. Yes, and and just showing disrespect for the Lord and not valuing that feast. In fact, he told the story in Luke fourteen to some people who had taken advantage of the invitation to go to a feast in the house of one of the chief Pharisees. So it kind of, you know, they wouldn't have missed that one, but the Lord's okay. Thoughts and comments through verse 9? Okay. Um, 10 to 18. We're in uh, Deuteronomy 20, 10 to 18. When you approach a city to fight against it, you shall offer it terms of peace. If it agrees to make peace with you and opens to you, then all the people who are found in it shall become your forced labor and shall serve you. However, if it does not make peace with you but but makes war against you, then you shall besiege it. When the Lord your God gives it into your hand, you shall strike all the men in it with the edge of the sword. Only the women and the children and the animals and all that is in the city, all its spoil, you shall take as booty for yourself and you shall use the spoil of your enemies which the Lord your God has given you. Thus you shall do to all the cities that are very far from you, which are not of the cities of these nations nearby. Only in the cities of these peoples that the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance, you shall not leave alive anything that breathes. But you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite, and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite, as the Lord your God has commanded you, so that they may not teach you to do according to all their detestable things that they have done for their gods, so that you may sin against the Lord your God. Do you notice that the Lord has different rules here? You've got rules in 10 to 15 that aren't the same battle rules as in 16 to 18. What's the difference between those two sets? Yes, but why the difference? How do they apply them differently? Location. Where the the nation was, the nations that were far off, that weren't in the land of Canaan, in verses 10 to 15, if they could make an agreement with them, then it was okay for them to 
uh, only kill the man and keep the women, the children, the animals, and the spoil as uh, for themselves, as slaves and as uh, things that they would use. But with the cities that were nearby, the cities in the land, God wanted them to utterly destroy them totally, 100%. The gravest spiritual dangers are often the ones closest to us. We are more likely to be negatively influenced by people that we're very attached to, by people that we're very involved with and close to. Uh, And so with these, there's no negotiation, no covenant. You can't even keep them as slaves. All of them have to be wiped out. Again, that's, that's challenging for 21st century Americans. How could God say this? How could it be right for the Jewish armies to just wipe out everybody in these Canaanite cities? But I want you to think about this. How much difference is there between this and the flood? There's one big difference. What's the big difference between this and the flood? Yeah, whether it's the Israelite army that's killing, or whether it's the floodwaters that's killing. But in both cases, they are acting, the floodwaters, the army, at the command of God. God is the one who's behind it. He's the one who's doing it. This is not the Israelites acting on their own to decide, we want to kill these cities. This is them following God's orders to wipe out the cities. So the question really is, does God have the right to punish peoples by killing them? And, and if you stop and think about it, who gave them their life? They would not be alive if it were not for the Lord. So when God takes their life, what's he doing? Taking back what he given them. If it's his, doesn't he have the right to take it back? And he's doing it because of the wickedness of these nations. Remember that back in Genesis 15, God tells Abraham that, you know, it's not time yet. The iniquity of the Amorite is not full yet. They were sinful, but not sinful enough that God chose that moment to judge them. He waited until the sins got so great that he felt like there was no other option. Comments and thoughts? Tim. So these far off cities, is it the idea that really, really every nation is so sinful that they could, you know, they had the right to conquer, destroy, and kill other cities if they wanted to? Um, you know, David, like, okay, yeah, so these, these cities are far off, and so were, were they equally sinful, and therefore they should be judged as well? So if they wanted to go off and conquer these far off cities, they have the right to do that because it would still be God's judgment. And if so, why, why is it that you spare them children? Well, I, I, the question with the far-off cities is if the city was willing to negotiate terms of peace. They'd wipe it out if they weren't. If they were, perhaps that would indicate somewhat of a soft heart toward the Lord. They would just kill the men, but they would keep the women and the children spoiled. Certainly those far-off cities are less likely to be a negative influence on Israel. Now, exactly what all went into that from God's standpoint, I don't know. John? Uh, how does this compare with the Gibeonites? They came saying they were from far off, and they made a covenant, and we're always talking about how the Israelites should have prayed to God, but they already have God's commandments if they 
of there from far off. Yes. What should they have prayed to God about? Whether or not they really were from far away or not. They just accepted the Gibeonite word on that rather than consulting the Lord to find out. They applied the right measures to some extent, though they didn't kill the men like they should have here. But they applied some of the right <coughs> measures if they had been far off. But the fact is, they believed the lie instead of asking God's advice about whether that was true. Jake. Um, another thing that I've been in 16, something that I noticed is uh, it said that, but of the cities of these people which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let. It's like, that's the, the cities that uh, they're going to be actually given uh, to inhabit. That's the cities that if they didn't destroy everything, those are the ones that would be the most, e- the, the, they would corrupt and they would uh, intermingle with the Israelites. Correct. So I think that's probably the main reason, kind of go up to what, like, why this and not this, and, uh, you know, can you just do this instead of this? Uh, I think it's mainly the point of that's the land that was supposed to be all theirs. And if it's and if there's anything left of any of the idolatry or anything like that, any of the corruption and the abomination, then, um, then that could intervene. But with the cities that aren't necessarily their inheritance, they're just going to uh, kind of be around them. Right. They don't need to utterly destroy them. Correct. Yes. <coughs> um, I liked how in verse 13, I just liked how it said, like, and when the Lord had delivered them, like, the cities into their hands. Because, like, if that was being said to everyone, like, it just kind of gives them the assurance that God's going to, like, fulfill his promise. Great point, yes. God will do it. We have no doubt about that. Just a matter of when. Yeah, good point. Chris? And we see later on that uh, even when some of the kings were carrying out the destruction of people that God wanted, it, God did not allow them to do it by their own or on their own um, because of their own vengeance or their own glory. He then... Uh, judge them because you carried out my judgment the wrong way. You know, it was... So yes. so here, you know, God doesn't allow someone else to do His judging for Him. So the Israelites were not doing it. God was doing it. Exactly. And later on, I don't remember one of the J kings was doing that. <laughs> but he went into... <laughs> it's usually safe to start with a J. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But God had told him to destroy the people, but went in and kind of out of his own vengeance just overkilled, and and God then made him accountable for that. Okay, yeah. Very good. 19 and 20. You received the city a long time to make war against it in order to capture it, and shall not destroy it trees by swinging the axe against them. You may eat from them, and you shall not cut them down. For is the tree of the field a man that it should be besieged by you? Only the trees which you know are not fruit trees you shall destroy and cut down, that you may construct siege works against the city that is making war with you until it falls. That's interesting. In the, in the midst of all these laws about the warfare, when they besieged a city, they shouldn't cut down the trees. And we're talking about the cities in the land. Maybe that's partially because the trees aren't guilty. You know, they weren't sinful. They should be spared. But also the idea that they need those trees later. You know, they're going to want the fruit trees because they're going to inhabit this land. Almost don't bite the hand that feeds you. When you're in the heat of battle, don't forget about tomorrow. And so not every weapon or strategy 
was appropriate. They were not to destroy the trees, they were to destroy the men and the city. I'm not sure if this is a good application of this or not for us, but in 2 Timothy chapter 2, when it comes to our battle against wickedness, I think sometimes we need to remember the principles of 2 Timothy 2.24. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Our goal is not to destroy those Satan has held captive. Our goal is to liberate them with patience, (laughs) kindness, gentleness, certainly with correction and with teaching and with firmness. But we're trying not to destroy the victims as we fight against the enemy. So maybe that would be somewhat of a legitimate application from this idea of not destroying the trees. Comments or questions here on chapter 20? Yes, Monica. Doesn't it also show um, a, a belief that God's going to deliver the city into their hands? Certainly. Because they're going to be eating from those trees down the road, and so they just need to trust Him to do it. Yeah, good point. No question about that. Yes. Other thoughts or comments? Okay.